0: Good morning. God is good. As I was preparing for this message, it's amazing how God brings people to both affirm and to bring new information and new insights. I I was sent a, a sermon from my sister in law 's mother in law that just touched on this subject, a, call, a friend called me that i hadn 't spoken in like five years. He looked me up and he shared a story and it it gave a, a special nugget to this this uh, message as well and then as we 're studying um, as we 're worshiping with family there 's things that we 're reading and i 'm going where's that from and then also in my personal Uh, worship time. You know, God is just revealing things. And then sometimes he wakes me up, actually this whole week, it was between three and four, he would wake me up and I would have a notepad next to me writing these things down. And this is a topic I've been studying for some 20 years and it's a topic, the theme that we're going to be studying for eternity. And it's titled, It is Finished. There's a place... I love each time I go there. I experience breathtaking grandeur and awe and wonder. After driving for miles on a windy mountain road, you finally reach a tunnel. It is a long, damp, pitch-dark, foreboding tunnel. I know because I've turned off my headlights on many occasions. And as you drive for what seems like several miles, There in the distance, you see a speck of light. As you drive towards that light, it gets brighter and brighter. And then it opens up to a breathtaking, epic view, a spectacular, awe-inspiring view of the Yosemite Valley. It is a breathtaking wonder, a timeless experience, the beauty indescribable, a view of a unique grand masterpiece with every passing season, an unforgettable portrait of beauty and tranquility sculpted by our creator God that burns into your mind's eye. Awe and wonder. Have you personally experienced awe and wonder? Have you personally experienced it up close? For our son's 16th birthday, the two of us, father and son, experienced this awe and wonder up close. The Half Dome Climb, a near 18-mile round-trip climb. It was like a Mount Moriah experience where I didn't tell my wife what I knew about this adventure so that she wouldn't worry or discourage us from having this once-in-a-lifetime experience. I didn't tell her we were flying on 9-11 and that... A climber had tragically died this climb six days before our trip. The hand of God was clearly evident on this trip. We had prayed earnestly that God would open the doors if it was his will so that we could do this climb. Since the climb had become so popular, a lottery system was established to limit the number of climbers using the cables, a necessary access for the final ascent in a giving day to 300 people. The likelihood of getting the required ticket was around 20% according to their statistics. And the request could be made only two days before the anticipated climb. So I applied on Tuesday before the Thursday climb, and I did not hear back. So I applied again on Wednesday the morning we were leaving for a Friday climb. While at the airport, I got a response back saying, Cables on Half Dome Lottery Result Announcement. Congratulations. Congratulations for this Thursday request. And then shortly after that, at the next airport, I received another message congratulating me for the Friday climb. God had miraculously provided not just one day, but two consecutive days, beautiful days. We tried to climb on Thursday, but since we got to our lodging late, we were not on the trail until about 8 a.m. After an hour of hiking, we aborted the climb because I was too exhausted to continue but we thank God that he had already known this and that he had provided us with another ticket for the following day. So on Friday the 13th, we got up at 3 a.m. and we were on the trail by 5 a.m. Using headlights for the first one and a half hours of the hike, we made our way up, carrying a loaded backpack with food and plenty of water and camera gear. After five and a half hours of hiking, gaining 5,000 feet, we reached the back of this granite monolith for the final ascent, the most dangerous part of the trip. We harnessed up and clipped into the cables to climb to the top of Half Dome. This was indeed the most memorable and unforgettable father-son trip. I will cherish this father-son climb the awe and wonder and the grandeur of God's creation we experience together for the rest of my life. This is the view from up top of Half Tome. And I wish I could take all of you there because it's, it is an amazing experience, amazing view. And I know some of you here have done it. And I know when we shared this with Alana and she saw the picture, she goes, That's on my bucket list. So I hope and pray that some of you, as you watch, the, hear this story, that you will, God will provide you the opportunity. There's a saying that says, Live your life to the fullest. Take the most out of each hour, each day, and each age of your life. Then you can look forward with confidence and back without regrets. The last part of that prayer says act as if everything depends on you and pray as if everything depends on God. And truly this experience, we could not do it alone because God had to provide those lottery tickets. And by the grace of God, he provided that so my son and I could have this beautiful experience. This is a glimpse of what it will be like to see and experience the awe and wonder of creation in the heaven and earth made new, in unshadowed beauty, we as his precious, redeemed, beloved sons and daughters with Jesus, our creator and with our loving Heavenly Father. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Gracious Assembly, Father, as we explore the profoundness of the cross, and what, what you said. In those words, it is finished. Father, that's a subject we're going to study for eternity. I just pray that your Holy Spirit may be poured down on each one of us, on me personally, on each listener, in those that might be listening online, Father. We need to desperately see your glory. Because in seeing your glory, we are transformed. Into your likeness and to be able to see you face to face we need that transformation and we desperately plead for that we thank you and praise you for answering our prayer in Jesus precious name we pray amen today we are talking about a subject so profound and awe-inspiring And wonder-provoking that it will take more than a lifetime, rather an eternity. A concept we don't even begin to understand for us to comprehend the depth of the words exclaimed by Jesus on the cross for the entire universe to hear. It is finished. John 19.30 This is an ongoing study that I have been doing for the past 20 years and have never had the opportunity until now to share this. During the week, the world remembers Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. What we learn today is a drop in the bucket compared to the vast ocean of understanding we will someday have in the earth made new as we study this subject of Christ's boundless love that was manifested on the cross for fallen humanity. I will have a detailed handout of this discussion uh, at the end of... Uh, the message, uh, the deacons and the elders will hand it out. It's, this time it's a six-page handout, and I'm sorry, it's in an eight-font size because there's so much. But I hope and pray that that will be something you look and study and go beyond that because the study is endless. And it would have taken at least a couple hours to go through all that. It is finished These words are the most profound words spoken by Jesus Christ because when correctly understood, these words have divine power to radically transform lives. In 1 John 5, 7 and 8, it says this, For there are three things that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one, And there are three things that bear witness in earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. When the words, it is finished, was shouted by Jesus on the cross, at that very moment, the inner veil of the temple was rent in two by an unseen hand, revealing the most holy place where the Shekinah glory once presided. It was here that that three specific items were placed in the Ark of the Covenant, Hebrews 9, 4, each representing the unique member of the triune Godhead by having one sole purpose, to bring God's people into the presence of the holy God. The first one is the tables of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. That represents God the Father. The second, manna, which represents Jesus. The third, Aaron's rod, that budded. That represents the Holy Spirit. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. He is our comforter, teacher, spirit of truth, guide, spirit that quickeneth and gives life. He reproves the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. On earth, there are also three things, and these three things pointed to the mission of Jesus and the purpose for him coming to the earth. And there are three things that bear witness on the earth, the spirit, water, and blood. And these three agree in one. They are the three baptisms Jesus had to undergo to fulfill all righteousness, Matthew 3.15. His ministry began at his baptism and was fulfilled on the cross when he shouted to the universe, it is finished. At the beginning of his ministry, he was baptized by water. Because he needed to be baptized? Because there was sin? No, it was for us, to represent us. And then the baptism of the Spirit. And then where God the Father says, this is my beloved Son. And the baptism of the blood, where John the Baptist says, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. At the cross, when he says it is finished, it's the fulfillment of those three baptisms that took place at the beginning of his ministry. When he said that, Jesus was indeed the perfect son of man. That's the water. And the baptism by the Spirit, Jesus undeniably the perfect son of God. And the baptism of the blood, by the highest court of the land, Pilate, Jesus was declared innocent when Pilate proclaimed, I find no fault in him. It was then that he was declared to be the pure, spotless lamb of God. Jesus had to be perfect in every way to fulfill all righteousness, righteousness and to die as such, showing God the Father's hatred for sin, but also revealing the depth of the Father's love for us as his children, for our eternal salvation. As a perfect son of man, Jesus Christ overcame Satan as the second Adam. As a perfect son of God, the cross vindicated and revealed the true character of the Father. The cross reveal also the true character of Satan. And the dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast into the earth, and the angels were cast out with him. Those same four titles are given again in Revelation 20. Dragon, which means the destroyer, and this is in Greek, When you look up serpent, it means deceiver. Devil means accuser. Satan means adversary. Please know that any of those spirits, if we have any of that in our lives, that is a spirit of Satan. Whether it be to destroy, to deceive, be, be the accuser of brethren, be an adversary. And what is amazing is when Christ says it is finished, it wasn't just for us. It's actually for the entire universe to hear. And hear this message. This is from Desire of Ages. To the angels and the unfallen worlds, the cry it is finished had a deep significance. It was for them as well as for us that the great work of redemption had been accomplished. They with us share the fruits of Christ's victory. Not until the death of Christ was the character of Satan clearly revealed to the angels or to the unfallen worlds. Satan saw that his disguises was torn away. Disguise was torn away. His administration was laid open before the unfallen angels and before the heavenly universe. He had revealed himself as a murderer by shedding the blood of the Son of God. He had uprooted himself from the sympathies of the heavenly beings." The last link of sympathy between Satan and the heavenly world was broken. There are several other points which I will touch on, but it is in your handout that is accomplished by Jesus being the perfect son of God. The cross established the kingdom of grace The cross declared that justice and mercy of God, by his life and his death, Christ proved that God's justice did not destroy his mercy, but that sin could be forgiven, and that the law is righteous and can be perfectly obeyed. Satan's charges were refuted. God had given unmistakable evidence of of his love. The cross declared the victory over sin and Satan, and the other important one, that we as Seventh-day Adventists, have given this special message and understand. The cross fulfilled the messianic prophecy. Now, as the perfect lamb of God, type has met anatype in the death of God's son. The great sacrifice has been made. There is now an end to all sacrifices and offerings for sin. The atonement is completed. The sacrifice brought security to both heaven and earth. And all of this will be in the handout. It is done. It is finished, spoken by the Son of God on the cross, is the foreshadowing of the most precious and definitive word spoken by our Heavenly Father in Revelation 21, 6. It is done. Do you hear the echo? It is finished on the cross. It is done in Revelation. For you see, when Jesus cried out, it is finished on the cross, it was in the life and death of Jesus that the awe and wonder of the character of God and the Father was fully revealed. Jesus was victorious over the power of sin and Satan. What is done in Revelation 21.6? The answer is found in the next verse, Revelation 21.7. It says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God and he shall be my son. Here it describes the restoration of the sonship and daughtership with our Father for them that overcome. The perfect character of God the Father will then be fully manifested in his children as it was on the cross. It is finished. As the life and death of Jesus reveal the grandeur, majesty, glory, and beauty of the fullness of the love of the Father, so the words, It is done, is the promise from God, our Father, that someday soon, the fullness of God's glory will be evident in the heart of God's people at the close of earth's history. It is finished. It is done. As God's people, we too must personally experience three baptisms. Baptism by water, Baptism by the Spirit of God and baptism by fire. John the Baptist in Matthew 3.11 states, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Baptism by water represents the death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus Christ. It also is a marriage ceremony by which we publicly declare our union with Christ. Baptism of the Spirit represents our restored sonship. Daily, he, talking about Jesus, received a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the early hours of the new day, the Lord awakened him from his slumber, and his soul and his lips were anointed with grace that he might impart to others. For the daily baptism of the Spirit, every worker should offer his petition to God to ask for special help for heavenly wisdom that they may know how to plan and execute wisely. Teach your children that it is their privilege to receive every day the baptism of the Spirit. Baptism by fire is the Pentecost experience, the latter rain, the sealing of God's people, and a calling to be his royal and holy nation. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and a holy nation, 1 Peter 2.9. May the Lord Help his people to cleanse the soul temple from every defilement and to maintain such a close connection with him that they may be partakers of the latter rain when it shall be poured out. In the work that was accomplished in the day of Pentecost, we may see what can be done by the exercise of faith those who believe in Christ were sealed by the Holy Spirit. As the disciples were assembled together, they came, there came a sound as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each one of them. And Peter stood among them and spoke with mighty power. Three thousand were converted in one day. These disciples prepared themselves for their work. Before the day of the Pentecost, they met together and put away all differences. They were of one accord. They believed Christ's promise promised that the blessing would be given them, and they prayed in faith. They were weighed with a burden for the salvation of souls. The outpouring of the Spirit, is an apostolic day, as in the apostolic days, was the former reign, and the glorious was the result. But the latter reign will be even more abundant. The Lord's eye is upon his people. Their affliction is great. The flames of furnace seem about to consume them, but the refiner will bring them forth as gold tried in the fire. God's love for his children is as strong and tender, but it is needful for them to be placed in the furnace of fire. Their earthliness must be consumed that the image of Christ May be perfectly reflected. This connection brought beauty and depth to my understanding of the cross in the last book of the Bible and what Jesus is doing for us now. It took several years after discovering this that another connection was made, this time with the very first book of the Bible. For we see in Genesis that God rests not because he was exhausted and tired from creating, no, he rests because something beautiful was accomplished. It says in Genesis two, one and two, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And he rested on the seventh day. We know that the Sabbath is a memorial of creation. But Sabbath is also the memorial of deliverance. Deuteronomy five, twelve. And f- through 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. And remember that you were sl- a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Do you see the cross right there? One points to creation The other points to redemption. One proclaims God as the creator, and the other proclaims God as our redeemer. To recreate and restore what was originally the inheritance of man. These two apparent different reasons to keep the Sabbath have in fact the same ultimate purpose. To restore the image of God in man and reclaim the sonship of man that was with his heavenly father. Jesus' in, Jesus's intentional miracles that he did on Sabbath declared this undeniable and beautiful truth. In doing these miracles on the Sabbath, he shattered the false and burdensome teachings about the Sabbath and the traditions of men, and instead, he set the captives free. Every healing and miracle he performed and every forgiveness he extended could be done only If he took it upon himself, each act of grace taking him closer to Calvary. Now the understanding and connection of these three events took on a new and richer meaning of the Sabbath, the cross, and the final consummation, and what God is waiting before Christ returns. The very first Sabbath in Genesis points to the tender relationship between the Creator and his beautiful son and daughter, Adam and Eve, who are an express image of their perfect Father. On the cross, when he shouts, it is finished. There is a perfect portrait of God the Father, an image that was lost by sin is now fully revealed in Jesus, the perfect Son of God. In Revelation, when God the Father says, it is done, The Father's perfect character is fully restored in the redeemed and their heritage by creation and by adoption as precious children of God is reclaimed. This is the gospel for this spans the entire Bible from Genesis to the cross to Revelation. This sacrifice of Christ as an atonement for sin is the great truth around which all other truths cluster In order to be rightly understood and appreciated, every truth in the word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, must be studied in the light which streams from the cross of Calvary and in connection with the wondrous central truth of the Savior's atonement. Those who study the Redeemer's wonderful sacrifice grow in grace and knowledge. This is from Manuscript 70, 1901. In fact... This is the everlasting gospel for it is about the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Revelation thirteen eight God who is outside the framework of time experienced the cross from the foundation of the world. A concept finite mortals cannot fully comprehend. In truth God never takes us on a path that he himself has not already traveled or asks us to do what he himself has not already done. So it is with Abraham, when he was tested and asked to offer Isaac, his promised son, at Mount Moriah, which means chosen. Abraham experiences the anguish of what would take place in the heart of the Father and the Son on Calvary. In obeying God, both Abraham and Isaac understood the depth of the love of the Father and the Son, had for humanity before time began. The lamb slain before the foundation of the world. It is finished is a pinnacle event in earth's history for it is the de- declaration of the true character of God, the father in the life of his perfect son. It is also a pivotal historic and prophetic event pointing back to the beginning of time to the creation of man made in his perfect image of God and also pointing forward to revelation where the Father's image will be fully restored in man. Worshipping the true God and observing his Sabbath will undeniably bring persecution to God's people. It was when Moses petitioned Pharaoh and said, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a solemn feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh retorts, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. It was because of this request to keep the holy day that life became harder for God's people in Egypt. It is true worship of God that will bring persecution upon upon God's people. So it was with Jesus Christ. It was because of the miracles Jesus performed, specifically on Sabbath, that the Pharisees sought his destruction. So it will be in our day, proclaiming the truth about God and worshiping him him in spirit and truth on his Sabbath day. The seventh day will undeniably bring persecution again to God's people. More importantly... A life that is touched by God's grace brings rebuke to the world and brings hatred towards his children as they are being transformed by his loving hand into the image of a holy God. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. The more we contemplate it, the more we contemplate the character of Christ, and the more we experience His saving power, the more keenly shall we realize our own weakness and imperfection, and the more earnestly shall we look to Him as our strength and our Redeemer. We can be encouraged because the Bible is full of real-life stories with real-life struggles and failures. The sins that overcame Noah, Lot, Moses, Abraham, David, Solomon, and that even Elijah's strong spirit sank under temptation during his fearful trial. Jonah's disobedience and Israel's idolatry are faithfully recorded. Peter's denial of Christ the sharp contention of Paul and Barnabas, the failings and infirmities of the prophets and the apostles are all laid bare by the Holy Ghost who lifts up the veil from the human heart. But here's the promise. But seeing where they struggled and fell, where they took heart again and conquered through the grace of God, we are encouraged and led to press over the obstacle that degenerate nature places in our way. That's four testimonies, page 12. Even if, our, if we are overcome by the enemy, we are not cast off, not forsaken, and rejected of God. Sanctif, uh, SC 64. We can overcome, and through the power of his name, and by faith in his word, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalm one nineteen eleven. God will give faith and grace to overcome. Faith comes by the word of God, then grasps his promises. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Cast yourself at his feet with a cry, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. You can never perish while you do this. Never. This is Desire of Ages 429. Yet, we have a work to do to resist temptation. Those who would not fall a prey to Satan's devices must guard well the avenues of the soul. They must avoid reading, seeing, or hearing that which will suggest impure thoughts. The mind should not be left to wander at random upon every subject that the adversary of souls may suggest. This will require earnest prayer, and unceasing watchfulness. We must be aided by the abiding influence of the Holy Spirit, and we must give diligent study to the word of God. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. But the prayer that comes from the earnest heart, expecting that it would be granted, this is the prayer of faith, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Divine help is to be combined with human effort. Oh, how many times we shall be discouraged and come to weep at the feet of Jesus over the failures and our defeats. Yet let none of us, let none seize our efforts. Heaven can be attained by every one of us if we will strive, doing the will will of Jesus and growing into his image. The poor publican felt his need, and with his burden of guilt and shame, he came before God asking for his mercy. His heart was open for the Spirit of God to do its gracious work and set him free from the power of sin. Whenever you are tempted to sin, remember that Christ's eye is upon you and that Satan desires to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Remember to send your petitions heavenward and see Jesus making intercession for you. Send up an earnest cry to God, Lord, save me, I perish, and you will not be overcome. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. My brothers and sisters, the time has come to jettison any heavy burdens, worldly treasures, temporal things that consume us, unhealthy habits, and anything that will entangle us from running this race to reach the highest calling that God has for us. You may be in the tunnel of darkness and confusion, but I pray you will continue towards that light by taking the promise of God's word by faith. You, you will be soon walking on the path with a headlamp taking forward each step by faith towards the most amazing experience that you have ever experienced. Some of you may be burdened with guilt and heavy load while on this faith journey. I pray that you will go, let go of that burden and give it to your Savior and look up and grasp hold of the steady hand that will not let you fall. Perhaps you are facing a monumental obstacle much larger than life itself, than anything you have ever encountered in your life. But you know that God has led you here, and he is calling you to come up even higher. Secure yourself onto the rock of ages, letting go of every temporal, every temporal thing that weighs you down, and fill your heart and mind with eternal things that will uplift you, and soon you will be riding on wings of eagles, for he has promised. As you do this, you will experience awe and wonder like you never have before, and you will see the heart of God, the Shekinah glory, and personally hear your father's tender voice saying, It is done. I will be your God, and you will be my son and daughter. He that is holy, let him be holy still. Enoch ran this race faithfully, keeping his eyes focused on his father. And nothing else. He held tightly onto the Father's hand and treasured his sonship with him more than anything in this world, and thus he was translated into heaven without experiencing death. This will be the experience of God's people living now during the final chapter in earth's history. Do you know and cherish your Father's word? Do you trust His word? Have you personally tested His word and found it to be trustworthy? Have you stored His word in your heart? Psalm thirty-four eight. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Psalm one nineteen eleven. Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against Thee. The true meaning of Sabbath is about our sonship and daughtership by creation and again by costly redemption. Do we treasure our sonship and daughtership more than anything in this world, like Enoch did? Or will we be like Esau, giving up our birthright when we experience hunger or we have temporal needs that are not met? Esau had a special strong desire for a particular article of food and he had gratified so long that he did not feel the necessity of turning from the the tempting coveted dish. The more he thought upon it, the more his desire strengthened until his birthright, which was sacred, lost its value and its sacredness. He despised the blessing and the Lord removed it from him. Forever, Review and Herald, April 27, 1886. It showed his choice, showed his true estimate of that which was sacred and which should have been sacredly cherished. He sold his birthright for a small indulgence to meet his present wants, and this determined the after course of his life. Letter 5, 1877. Esau represents those who have not tasted of the privileges which are theirs, purchased for them at infinite cost, but have sold their birthright for some gratification of appetite or for the love of gain. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. I have not seen or heard, neither have into the heart of man the things that God hath promised, prepared for them that love him. Do we as Seventh-day Adventists correctly understand this deeper meaning of Sabbath, that this represents our sacred inheritance by creation and again by redemption, and the infinite price paid on the cross of Calvary? Do we recognize and cherish this sacred birthright more than anything else this world has to offer?" The enforced Sunday law will threaten our livelihood and our lives someday. Satan's ultimate purpose in persecuting is to covertly steal our sacred birthright from God's sons and daughters. Will you prepare and recognize this threat correctly so that you will not be deceived? When you see the Sunday law coming and it already is on its way, passing its way in darkness, please know that this will be the final test. And the test is this. Will you claim your sonship like Enoch with your father in heaven who loved you from creation and adopted you in redemption, paying the highest price possible to give you the sacred birthright to live with him forever? Or will you cherish the things of this world like Esau and devalue this costly gift and covet the things of this world and give up your sacred birthright? That will be our test. And unless we recognize the incalculable value God has placed on us and the awe and wonder of what was finished on the cross and cherish his priceless love each moment of each day and experience the transforming power of God's grace in our lives, we will not be ready for this test when it comes. 2020 brought unprecedented changes to our world. The most deceptive form of the art of war was masterfully executed in every area of human society to divide and conquer. There were unseen forces at play to elicit confusion and fear. The principles of law and order that holds together the fabric of our society was castigated as tyranny. Morality was denounced as vice, and vice was embraced as the new morality. Free speech was censured as a threat to society. Any belief in absolutes were ridiculed and suppressed. The transforming power of love and the gospel of grace is now considered hate speech. The most vital question to the life of humanity was asked in 2020, but was never answered. And this question is this. What is truth? Re-echoing the same question that was asked by Pilate at the most critical time in judgment, as it was in the judgment hall, so again this question was never answered. History is repeating itself. We too are living in the judgment hour. The final judgment of humanity is upon us, and we too must ask this urgent question what is truth. How we answer this truth will determine our eternity, our eternal destiny, leading us on the path to either eternal life or to eternal damnation. We have now woken up in 2021 to this new world of soft totalitarianism. It is upon this backdrop of confusion and upheaval that our world is in. We, as God's people, must hold dear more than ever before these precious, divine, life-giving words of Jesus Christ: I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 14:6. There is a dominant narrative that silences all other narratives, be that right or wrong. But if the dominant narrative silences the divine narrative, we as God's people are doomed, for we will have lost the light of his glory and will then be living in utter darkness, confusion, and fear. It was not the multitudes or majorities that were on the side of right. The world arrayed against God's justice and his laws, and Noah was regarded as a fanatic. They asserted that if there were any truth in what Noah had said, the men of renown, the wise, the prudent, the great men would understand the matter. The world will be rocked to sleep in the cradle of carnal security. The multitudes are striving to forget God, and they eagerly accept fables that they may pursue the path of self-indulgence undisturbed. My brothers and sisters, life and death is set before us. Many desired life but made no effort to obtain it. They did not choose life, and now there was no atoning blood to cleanse the guilty, no compassionate Savior to plead for them. All heaven had united with Jesus as they heard the fearful words, It is done. It is finished. The plan of salvation had been accomplished, but few had chosen to accept it. And as the mercy's sweet voice died away, fear and horror seized the wicked. With terrible distinctness, they heard the words, too late, too late. There was a shut door in Noah's day. There was at that time a withdrawal of the Spirit of God, For the sinful race that perished in the waters of the flood. There was a shut door in the days of Abraham. Mercy ceased to plead with the inhabitants of Sodom. There was a shut door in Christ's day. The Son of God declared to the unbelieving Jews of that generation, Your house is left you desolate. There was a shut door in 1844. All who saw the light of the first and second angel mes- angel's messages and rejected that light were left in darkness. And those who accepted it and received the Holy Spirit with which attended the proclamation of the message from heaven and who afterwards renounced their faith and pronounced their experience as a delusion, thereby rejected the Spirit of God and it no longer pleaded with them. The door of mercy is now open, my brothers and sisters, but very soon it will be closed forever. Today, if you hear His voice, harden not your hearts. Hebrew four seven. When the work of investigation shall be ended, when the cases of those who, in all ages, have who have professed to be followers of Christ, who have examined and decided, then, and not till then, probation will close. And the mercy of sh- door of mercy will be shut. Great controversy four twenty eight. My dear friends, the door of mercy is still open. Will you come to Jesus and grasp hold of His mighty hand as we enter into this As we are about to enter this unprecedented storm, and claim your birthright tightly in your other hand. It is worth more than anything that this world has to offer. It is your birthright by creation and by redemption, purchased by the precious blood of the Son of God? Will you keep it so dear to your heart and value it more than life itself? Will you personally experience his transforming grace in your life and know the depths of the heart that your Father in heaven deeply loves you and he wants you to come home to be with him forever? Will you behold With me, the awe and wonder of the cross. It is finished. It is done. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. We can overcome only by the blood of the Lamb. Will you place his precious blood on the doorpost of your heart? The redeemed raise a song of praise that echoes and re-echoes through the vaults of heaven. Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. It was with joy that was set before him that he might bring many sons and daughters unto glory, that he endured the cross and despised the shame. He looks upon the redeemed, renewed in his own image, every heart bearing the perfect impress of the divine, every face reflecting the likeness of their king. Are we seeking for his fullness, ever pressing toward the mark set before us, the perfection of his character? When the Lord's people reach this mark, they will be sealed in their foreheads, filled with the spirit. They will be complete in Christ, and the recording angel will declare, it is finished. The entire world was baptized by water in the flood, and the world is now being baptized by the Spirit, and then will soon be baptized by fire. We are all being filled with either the Spirit of God or the spirits of demons. And someday we will be possessed completely by one or the other, and be transformed into its image. Then, as we all come into the presence of God, we will experience either heaven or hell. For it is, in fact, the same place. For God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29. We will then have been baptized by fire. For while God is to the wicked a consuming fire, he is to his people, both a sun and a shield. Who among us shall dwell with a devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? Isaiah thirty three fourteen. Make Christ dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen.